for the next uh, year, year and a half, just know I'm going to say turn to Romans. No, it's good. Just we're going to be in Romans. If you wonder where, where we are, I, I sent out notes earlier in the week. Um, if you don't get those and you want to get those, uh, just kind of preparing your hearts and your minds for the study this morning, make sure you email me and Melissa and I will include you on that email. I sent out some notes from Romans 1 through 7 just to get you thinking, challenging you to look at Romans and the text here. And um, uh, my hope today was to uh, get through Romans 1, 1 through 7. And, and I, I have committed, I had the joy years and years and years ago of, of being a part of a Bible study on Thursday mornings. And, and we spent about three years, every two or three years, every Thursday morning looking verse by verse at Romans. And and uh, I've committed to not use those notes. I've committed just in my own heart to study afresh and anew. And uh, my heart was to cover verses 1 through 7. But as I, I dug into Romans chapter 1, verse 1, I realized there was just, there was too much there. And it's what you see here in Romans 1. And I tried to hint at some of this in the, in the homework. Uh, it's, it's foundational for the whole book of Romans. What, what, we, what you see in Romans 1, if we're not careful, we will pass right by it. We'll skip right through these introductions and completely miss what Paul is saying here in, in the very first verse. And what he's saying here is foundational to the whole book of Romans. I'm looking at the room trying to figure out where everybody is. I'm like, man, they're sitting over there. There's stories. Y'all are like in a different hemisphere. Man, meet Pam Milford. Pam Milford, meet the stories. Um, my attention issues kick in. I'm really nervous about how y'all are taking this change, if you can't tell already. Forgive me. Church divided over chairs. Good leadership. I want us to rightly grasp Romans, okay? And, and verse 1 is foundational. I, I, we're going to dig into some very difficult truths in Romans. One day we're going to make it to chapter 9, Lord willing, if he doesn't return first. And, and you're going to be faced with some hard truths in Romans 9 through 11. If you don't grasp verse 1, you'll have a hard time with Romans 9 through 11. You're going to have a hard time with Romans 9 through 11 regardless. But really, seriously, I mean, Paul, and Paul uses some bad words in Baptist circles here. These are bad words he uses. Set apart, chosen, election. I mean, if the chairs don't make you leave, the pastor used some bad words in the sermon today. We're leaving. We're out. We're out. But, but if we don't grasp Romans 1.1, you're going to have a hard time with the rest of Romans. Thomas Schreiner, in his commentary of Romans, says this, From the inception of the letter, Paul wants to persuade the Romans that his gospel is orthodox and worth supporting. His, gospel, his goal is to unify the Roman church and rally them around his gospel so that they will help him to bring the gospel to Spain. Everything about Romans is about the gospel. And Paul gets to it right at the outset of his letter. I ask this question in the homework, and, and, but imagine with me for a moment that you're writing a letter to a, to a group of people, of which many, I accidentally put any in the notes, it should have said many, and, but to many, many of which 
You're writing a letter and you're going to try, you're going to, you're going to introduce yourself and you're going to ask some things of some people. You're writing a letter to these people who most of all, most you do not know. Maybe they had heard of you, but not met you. Think about that. How would you introduce the letter? What would you say at the beginning of the letter to grab their attention so that they would listen to what you're saying in the rest of the letter? Paul's going to say some hard things. For one, he's going to ask them to support his mission. Paul wants to get to Spain. He's going to ask them to support his mission. Tomorrow night in a missions committee meeting, there's going to be some, some ministries that come, and they're going to ask us to support them. We, we have questions that we want to hear of them. We have expectations of them in order to support them. Paul is, Paul is putting that out here. What, what you would do at the very front, what the first thing you would do, and this is customary uh, of all of his letters and of that time, but what you would do at the very beginning is you would give your credentials. You would tell the people that you're writing to, here's, here's the authority under which I come. Here's the authority under which I write. You tell them about your previous work. You, you tell them why you're here. You tell them your plans. Thursday morning, I went, to, I went back to the dermatologist and had some uh, precancerous spots. The joy of being bald is, look, I get a lot of sunlight. And, uh, and, I, and I battle that. And I had some spots removed. And I was thinking about, the, about six spots. They froze and they get these blisters and I'm self-conscious about it. You know, I have a face for radio. So putting a bunch of brown spots, that doesn't help, doesn't help. So, um, but I, I remember as I was sitting there thinking about the sermon and I, and I was looking for their credentials. Why, why when you go into the doctor... Why do they have their certificates on the wall? Why do they have their degrees on the wall? Why do they have those letters after their name? You know what they're telling you? Here's why you can believe me. Here's why you can trust me. Here's why you should listen to me. That's what Paul is saying here in verse 1. For the rest of the letter, here's why you should heed what I'm saying. This is a customary intro style of the day in Romans, but what we see in Romans, the intro to Romans is the longest, most in-depth of all of Paul's introductions. Why? Because again, many, if not most, of the people he had not personally met. So he's making sure they understand, right from the onset, who he is, what he's about, what he wants of them. You think about that. You go to speak to a crowd that you're familiar. I don't get up here. I don't get up here every Sunday morning and say, "Hi, my name is Chris Basham. I have a, a master's degree from Florida State in sports administration. I have an undergrad in, in marketing, a minor in communications. I have a master's degree from Southeastern Baptist Theological Center." I don't say all that. Why? Because y'all know me. The rare occasion that somebody might call me to speak somewhere else. I might introduce myself in a little different way. Why? So they'll understand. To listen. That's what Paul is doing here. And you see it on your handout. The, the main point that Paul gets right at in the very first verse. Paul writes 
so that everyone knows that his authority, he is establishing his authority, that his authority is derived from God himself, and that as that God is the one for whom Paul speaks, works, and serves, that every aspect of his life is devoted to the gospel. Paul is establishing authority. Why should you listen? Why should Paul's audience listen? Why would we spend the next year listening? You know, what authority did Paul's writings bear then and, and even now? And Paul, Paul teaches us this in verse 1, in the titles that he chooses to describe himself with. Again, to a, to a group that, that would not have known him well, possibly, that he had not met. So I want to spend the day looking at the titles that Paul uses to describe himself because I think they will bear witness to us. And I want us to ask the question, how do we, how do we identify ourselves? How do you see yourself? I, I, want, I, want, I want you to ask the question to yourselves is, how do I view Scripture? When I come to Scripture, does it bear authority or, or am I the authority? Do I get the final say on what it says or does the Word of God get the final say on my life? I, we're going we're gonna to look at those questions because all of those are built up in these titles that Paul uses for himself. And, and he says in Romans 1.1, Paul, a bond servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. Paul begins with his name, Paul, and, and he's describing himself as a Christian. There's a reason, there, there, there's a lot of weight that goes with the name Paul. Describes himself, again, as a Christian. Paul gives his name here. We know that Paul, early on, was referenced as Saul. And I, and I think this is significant. In, in Paul, in Saul's early years, he was a Pharisee. He was a zealous Jew. He was zealous for the law. He was zealous for keeping every aspect of the law. And Saul, in that endeavor, how did he show his zealousness? By persecuting Christians. He was a persecutor, a murderer, if you will. He sought after Christians. It, look, look with me. Flip over to Acts 8 just to see, um, to see this. Just to build a context. In Acts 8... At the end of chapter 7, Stephen is put to death, and Saul, it says in verse 58, they laid their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And listen to this, verse 8, or chapter 8, verse 1. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. Listen, but Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. That, that's the man writing Romans. In Acts 9, if you continue reading in Acts 9 on the Damascus Road, you see the conversion of Saul. God appears to him on a, on a, on a road. He's out to, again, he's out to ravage the church. It's interesting in chapter 9, 
the Lord says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul was persecuting Christians, and what does God say? You're persecuting me. Listen, come after my children. Come after my wife. You're coming after me. That's Saul. And, and from, there, from here on out, beginning, you see it in, in, in chapter 13. The question becomes, when, when did Saul's name get changed to Paul? And the answer is that it's very likely that Saul would have had two names. He would have had a Jewish name and a Gentile name all along. Very likely. That, that was very common in that day for a Jewish individual to have a Roman name. In Acts 13, chapter, chapter 13, verse 9, it describes Paul and it says, Saul, who was also called Paul. It's very possible that it was common that, that he all along had, had those two names. Paul, as a minister to the Gentiles... That Gentile name would have certainly given him an opportunity to better minister to the Gentiles. I mean, I don't want to be weird, but you can probably think of names right now where if somebody came to your door and they said, hey, my name is such and such, you would immediately put up walls to that person. Immediately. But if they came to you and they said, hey, my name is John Smith, maybe some of those walls come down because, hey, I know a lot of John Smiths. You know, hi, my name is Osama bin Laden. I'd like to clean your roof. No. You know, no thank you. Or Barack, what is it? Osama bin Laden, is that what I said? Yeah, yeah. I don't want to get confused there. Like, Chris is making political statements. No, I'm not. A point is this, you can imagine, you know, certain names carry connotations. Paul has been commissioned with ministering to the Gentiles, and guess what? He begins identifying himself singularly with that name that will help him complete his mission. Paul. Paul was a Jewish. He was Jewish. He was born in the Roman city of Tarsus. You can go to, you can go to uh, Philippians chapter 3 and, and, and you read this about Paul, his, his biography, if you will, or his credentials as well as, as how he was well advanced in, in Judaism and as a Pharisee. He says, circumcised on the eighth day, the race of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrew parentage, in observance of the law of Pharisee. Paul was very devout, a poser of Christianity. And yet, he, now he is a follower of Christ. And he identifies himself singularly there. And we'll get to it in more depth, but in 1 Corinthians 9, we'll see that Paul says, To the Jew I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To the Gentile, a Gentile in order to win the Gentiles. And he goes on and on and on. Paul's, Paul's disposition was this, I'll do whatever it takes within the bounds of Scripture to reach people, men and women, for Christ. Even in how he identifies himself. And, and you, see it on your, you see it on your handout, adopting the primary use of his Roman name would allow Paul to approach the Gentiles in their own language, with, their, with a common name, putting them at ease. Again, everything about Paul's life was, was positioned in order to advance the gospel, even down to his name. Even down to his name. And my point is this, it's the same for us. 
as believers, how, how, do you, how do you begin to identify yourself? We're going to look at some more names. How do you, but before we do that, think about this and be thinking about this. How do you primarily identify yourself? Is it by who you're married to? Is it work accomplishments? Is it school accomplishments? Is it secular accomplishments? How do you identify yourself? What's the primary way when you're meeting somebody, how do you let them know about you? What do you tell them? Hi, my name is Chris Basham. I'm District 4A5A Golfer of the Year. What? Nobody cares. That was a big deal when it happened. 26 years ago, a marriage, two kids, and a ministry. Don't nobody care about golf. How do you identify yourself? Where do you find your sense of identity? Where, where do you find your sense of authority? Paul's was found in the fact that he was a Christian. That he, had, that, that he was a follower of Christ. But not only a Christian, Paul describes himself here as a bondservant. The, the Greek word here is doulos. It, it literally means slave. There's, you can't get around it. It means slave. The word, you see it on your handout, was used for, the word here used for bondservants carries the idea of total devotion, total subordination, the idea that a person was at, here it is, the complete disposal of their master. Complete disposal. That they had been bought, that they existed to serve their master. If you go over to Galatians chapter 1, uh, verse 10, we, we are shed a little light here. Of, of, again, Paul grabs this in Galatians 1.10. He says, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still striving to, striving to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Here's what Paul is saying. Exactly what Jesus says. You can't serve two masters. You're going to love the one, you're going to hate the other. Who's your master? Who owns you? Who has your complete and total devotion? Paul makes it very clear. Jesus made it very clear. You can't please men in Christ at this. You can't try to seek men and Christ at the same time. Now, you seek Christ, you'll ultimately please men. Not all of them, but you'll please, the, you'll please them in the right way. But you can't serve two masters. Christ ruled him. He didn't seek to please men. I mean, again, you're going to hear some hard things in Romans. He, his existence was to please Christ. Why? Because Christ owned him, had bought him. But, but, but also what Paul is doing is he's, he's bridging the gap. He's... He's connecting himself to, to a very title that was used very often for, for a many, many, many Old Testament saints. Commonly used for God's people. In Joshua 24.30, it describes Joshua. In 2 Kings 18.12, the word there describes Moses. In Jonah 1.9, it's used to describe Jonah. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3 are identified in this same way. 
What's Paul doing? Paul's not only describing himself, but he's attaching himself to a long list of Old Testament saints that his readers would have identified with. He's putting himself on equal authority with Old Testament saints. Again, why should you listen to me? Here's why. Why should you follow me? Here's why. Paul knows that his authority is a derived authority. It's not found in Paul himself. It is a derived authority, and it impacts his message and his ability to speak to others about the gospel. But, but this title also, it carries with it the notion of humility. And I would argue that that idea of humility, that idea of total obedience, complete devotion, that's the idea Paul carries here. Slave. Totally dedicated to Christ and the, wor- and the advance of the gospel. That's Paul. Everything that a bondservant did was to the glory and the advancement and the praise and the good of their master. That's a slave. How do you see yourself? And again, Paul makes it very clear. In the first seven verses, Paul lets you know who he's about. Christ Jesus in verse 1, His Son in verse 3, His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, verse 4, His namesake, verse 5, Jesus Christ, verse 6, the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 7. Who's Paul about? He's about his Savior. What's Paul's agenda? It's to make much of his Savior. And again, to an audience, many of which he, he had never personally met. At the time of Romans, he had not made it there yet. We'll see in verses 8 through 15, we'll see it later on in chapters 15, Paul apologizing in a sense for why he hasn't made it to Rome yet. And yet he's writing. But I think he's establishing credentials here, but I think he's building bridges. He's connecting himself with people that they would have known, that they would have held in high regard. But but let's attach this for a moment before we say, okay, that was Paul for the reason he was an apostle, he did dot, dot, no, no. Let's connect this to you and I. Go to 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Verses, verse 19 and 20 of 1 Corinthians 6. Listen to what Paul writes. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own listen for you have been bought with a price therefore glorify god in your body go to verse 22 of of chapter 7 he says for who for he who was called in the lord while a slave is the lord's freed man likewise he who was called while free is christ's slave you were bought with a price do not become slaves of men That which applied to Paul, in that sense, applies to every believer in this room. You've been bought with a price. Why were you bought with a price? To glorify God with your body. To make much of God in everything you do. To see yourself as being at the total disposal of your master. That our authority to live and to speak, it is derived from aligning ourselves with Christ. We are his and he is ours. Total devotion. 
Not, not, okay, this is what I do in my Christian life, and this is what I do in my secular life. Well, that's Christianity, and i got to be this way in business, or this way at school, or this way in sports. There's no duplicity here. That title encompasses your entire life. Every single thing that you do, believer, is to be done to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Why? Because you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. That's just part of being a Christian. You are a slave to Christ. And this is going to be a big deal in chapter 6. When he talks about not being a slave to sin, but being a slave to righteousness. Do not go on presenting, verse 12, do not go on presenting your members as slaves to sin, but instead as slaves to righteousness. Live in accordance to the righteousness that you've been declared, that Clay spoke of this morning. You have been deemed, declared righteous, Christian. Live that way. Live that way. Pursue it. Why? Because Jesus Christ is our master. Paul's a Christian. Paul's a bond slave. Paul also describes himself here as an apostle. Called as an apostle. This is the normal way that Paul addresses himself in his letters. For instance, just as an example, there are many. We won't look at them all. You go to 1 Corinthians 1.1 because it's near Romans. It's the next book. Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. The, the, the apostles and their authority, Ephesians 2.20, it was used to establish the church. This is a big deal. A big deal. You see it there in your handout. The word apostle literally means messenger. It is someone who speaks on behalf of another. But it is someone who bears the authority of the one on whom they speak. You bear authority. Paul, Paul, is, Paul is, it carries the weight The word apostle would have carried with it the weight of authority, but of accreditation. Why should you pay attention to what Paul says? Because he's an apostle. You go to John 17, verse 3. You and I believe on the words and the faithfulness of the foundation of the apostles. Huge deal. It carried specific qualifications and, and Paul, by the grace of God, had met those qualifications, being a witness to Christ, his resurrection, the, the, the Damascus road. Again, Paul witnessed the resurrected Christ. And again, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul, and, and uh, verse, nine, verse 7, and in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul calls himself an, a, special of a, a special apostle of untimely birth. But God, by his grace, allowed Paul to meet all the qualifications of being an apostle. He had seen the Lord, 1 Corinthians 9. He was included in those whom God had appointed for the church, 1 Corinthians 12. His ministry bore the true marks of, a, of an apostle, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He had, he had not been sent by men, but God. You go to Galatians, and Paul talks about how God took him off into this Arabian desert for all these years to equip him to do his work. Paul is speaking with all the authority of God. That's what he's saying. If I commission Josh to go speak on my behalf, Josh goes with all of my authority. Paul represented Christ. He functioned under Christ's authority so far as Paul was carrying out Christ's work and mission. 
Listen, it wasn't Paul's authority wasn't to do his own bidding. It wasn't for him to take all the resources that God had given him for his mission and then go off and do his own thing. No, Paul functioned under the authority of God so long as he was about the gospel, so long as he was doing what God had called him to do. And here's the implications. You see it on your handout. Think about what this means, not only for the Roman hearers, but for us today. Paul is not writing suggestions here. Keep that in mind as we read the rest of Romans. Paul is not writing suggestions. When we get to Romans 13 and he talks about love your brother as yourself, he's not saying when you get the time, if it's convenient, if you think about it, if it works out for well you, you know what? No, he's saying do it. Why? Because he writes on behalf of God. He's not writing suggestions. Also keep this in mind as you read Romans. Paul is not writing as an individual at his own whim. He's not the one making this stuff up. 2 Peter 1.20 says, No prophecy of Scripture comes about through man's own interpretation, but men wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture, all Scripture is God-breathed. The word there is theonoustos. It literally means out of God. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This isn't Paul writing his own thoughts. He's writing under the total inspiration of God. The verbal, what would be called the verbal plenary. You go to Matthew, you say, well, what, you go to Matthew 5. Every single word Jesus says, not a jot or tittle. That's the strongest, literally in the Greek, what, Paul, what Jesus is saying is the difference. Scripture is so precise, it's down to the difference. Think about this, jot and tittle. It would be like the difference between an O and a Q. What's the difference between an O and a Q? That tiniest little boop. It would be like the difference between a P and an R. What's the difference? Just one tiny little stroke of the pen. Jesus says that's how precise the word of God is. Why? Because all scripture is God breathed and none of it, none of it, he says in Matthew 5, will pass away until it's all fulfilled. Every word. Every letter. The question becomes, the question becomes this. You know, he, he, oh, let me finish these. These are not Paul's opinions. That wasn't in my notes, so sorry. That's, that's, that was, I found over us. He, he is working, Paul is working and speaking on behalf of Christ. As such, listen, what he writes carries true authority. And this is a key to grasp, not only for Romans, but it's a key for us to grasp for the rest of how we view, how do we view the rest of Scripture. Is it, is it as the song says, do we only follow the red letters? Or all the letters carry the weight of Scripture? Listen, all the letters, all the words, all Scripture. Old Testament, New Testament. And, and it bears mentioning before we, before we move past this, we'll hit on in a minute. But let me just think about this for a second. Be honest. How do you view Scripture? When, when you read Scripture, 
What is your attitude? Are they suggestions? Is what you read opinions? Is it, hey, that was thousands of years ago, but this is 2019? When, when, you, when you open up your word in the morning, hopefully to do your devotions, do you have an attitude that says, let me wait and see what it says before I obey it? Do you sift it through, well, what does culture think about what I've read? Do you sift it through your own opinions? What, what's your view of Scripture? Listen, huge implications. Not only for Romans, but for all of Scripture. Because unless we have our head in the sand, listen, the world we live in today is vastly opposed to the Word of God. You stick to, the, you stick to Scripture, you're, you're going to have enemies. And, and you're going to have to choose... What am I going to stand on? Am I going to stand on the authority of Scripture? Or am I going to, that solid rock, Jesus says, or am I going to stand on the, the, the ways and the means and the opinions of today, which, by the way, change, and that's why Jesus said long ago, it's like shifting sands. Are we going to allow the Word of God to say what, a sin, what sin or are we going to determine for ourselves? Are we going to go back to be like judges where everyone did what was right in their own eyes? Huge deal here. Paul writes as an apostle. Paul's not writing his own thoughts here. He's not writing what he thinks. He's writing on behalf of God. And every word he pens bears the authority of God. These aren't opinions. Paul is writing, you'll see it, in the very words of God and as such. Listen, to obey Scripture is to disobey God Himself. To disobey Scripture, rather, is to disobey God Himself. And think about it. Think about it. I, I thought about this. Just, this just comes to my mind, so I hope it fits. There, there are times where your kids, or some of your children may be outside down the street playing, and some of your kids may be in the house. You ever had that time where you say, hey, Sarah Grace, go down to the neighbor's house and get Brad and tell him it's time to come in for dinner. Listen, we all know how brothers and sisters act. When she goes down and tells him that, you know what Bradley's thinking? What authority you have to do to tell me to come in to dinner, boy, girl? You know what she said? Because it wouldn't be past my daughter to play a trick on him. But guess what? When she walks down there and knocks on the door and says what? Mom and dad said it's time to come home for dinner, to come home now. Whose authority is she speaking on? Her own or is she speaking on the authority of her mom and dad? She's speaking on the authority of her mom and dad. If Bradley says, I don't care what you say, I ain't coming home. He ain't disobeying Sarah Grace. He's disobeying his mom and his daddy. You see it? That's the point. To disobey Scripture is to disobey God Himself. So not only as a, as a Christian, as a bondservant, as an apostle, but look also in Romans 1. Paul describes himself as one who has been set apart. Set apart. And again, over in Galatians, we, we see this. 
very clearly. Galatians 1.1, Paul, an apostle, listen to this, and he says this, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Go to verse 15. But when God, who had set me apart from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Acts 9, you see a clear setting apart. And listen, it's on your hand out there. Paul held a deep conviction that he was chosen by God. This is not, you know, sign up on your own. God called him. And we live in a culture that you read the words chosen, you read the words predestined, you read the words election. Listen, we shudder at these. Those are good biblical words. Tremendous comfort. Tremendous peace when you understand these words in their context. Paul's calling rested on the grace of God. Paul's calling didn't rest on anything that he deserved, anything he merited. It wasn't like, oh man, I... I really need to capitalize on Chris's oratory skills. And no, it's not what it, that's not the calling. It's not about it wasn't about aptitude. It wasn't about gifting. It wasn't about preference. It was about God's grace. God saying, "I'm going to take him who is opposed to me, and I'm going to pick him even from birth." Paul says he's going to go serve the Gentiles. He's going to help me build the church with bringing in the Gentiles. And think about this. Go, go read just for fun, 2 Corinthians 11. Why would Paul endure under all of that persecution? Because he had been called. He knew that it was God who had called him. He knew that he was not serving men, he was serving God. And to abandon his mission was to abandon God. Is disobedience. Paul existed for the express purpose. And in doing this, again, he's connecting himself to Old Testament saints. You go to Isaiah 49, Isaiah, I was set apart from birth. You go to Jeremiah 1.5, I was set apart from birth while in the womb. Again, Paul's building a bridge with a Gentile Jewish audience. He's establishing authority to the ones that he's speaking to. And what we see here, even from verse 1, is that God left nothing to chance in the advancement of the gospel and the founding of the church. He left nothing to chance. You see it on your handout. Paul was set apart for the specific purpose being the advancement of the gospel. Paul lived to proclaim and advance the gospel. And as such, you see it on your handout, the advancement of the gospel was his primary function. Everything else was in the context of that. Paul knew that this gospel of God through Jesus Christ was good news, that God could be just and the justifier, the one who has faith in Christ, that, it, that through Christ alone your sins could be washed away, they could be propitiated, they could be forgiven, the wrath of God could be satisfied, and Paul is making sure, hey, I want to make sure my readers, I want to make sure y'all know what I, y'all, I want to make sure y'all know this. I want to make sure you know this announcement. And you see it in handout, the gospel Paul seeks to share is God's announcement that he has made a way for himself to be rightly reconciled to sinners. This is God's announcement. 
This is God saying, come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden. All shackled with sin. Come unto me and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me. That's what we're doing when we share the gospel. We're inviting you, we're inviting sinners to come to God, to be reconciled to God. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, we beg you, I beg you, I beg you on behalf of Christ. What does he say? Be reconciled to God. Paul says he begs them. We're making an appeal on behalf of God. Be reconciled. And that was what Paul's life was about. I mentioned 1 Corinthians 9, but listen to 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 23. This was Paul's attitude. Just listen. 1 Corinthians 19, I mean, 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. For though, listen, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. To the Jews, I became as a Jew so that I may win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those under the law. To those who are without the law, as without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Listen, so that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. What was the aim of everything Paul did? The gospel. The gospel. It, 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 some of you are saying, why? Listen, please hear my heart here. We're not trying to be cool. I, I'm not. I, we're not going to have smoke machines and I ain't going to come up here and all this uh, ripped jeans and all that. Listen. We're not trying to be cool. I ain't going to come up out of the ground and next time I preach and have smoke and all that. We're not trying to be cool. We're not. Sorry to disappoint you, Raymond. I'm way beyond cool. That's my kids. Way, I missed the cool boat a long time ago. It only took us seven years to get from 1985 to 2019. That'll tell you. We're not trying to be cool here. Just understand, understand we didn't do this to be cool. We did this to reach people with the gospel. Okay? And guess what? We live in a world where decor matters. And so what? Guess what? We're going to do what it takes within reason, within the confines of the gospel. We're not compromising teaching. I'm not changing the word-for-word -word teaching of the Bible. We're not changing the message. But we're going to change paint and pews and carpet to catch up with 2019. To win the more. So if you want to know the why, that's the why. To win some. Because guess what? It, may not, it doesn't matter to me. I could care less. But there's a whole world out there that it matters. So we're going to do it. Because it doesn't compromise the message. Okay? The message of the gospel is ironclad. It's perfect the way it is. But we can change the atmosphere that we present that message. And if that helps us, if that causes somebody to stay longer, we're not going to become seeker-friendly. Again, we're not doing any of that. But if you come, if this will help you to stay and hear the gospel one more time, listen, I'm all for it. And I want us to be a people, individually and corporately, who says this, 
We will do whatever it takes within the confines of Scripture without compromising the message to reach people with the gospel. Period. Bottom line. That, that's the why. Because a, as your pastor, I believe we're biblically commanded to do that. Period. So if you're wondering the why, there it is. I would argue even behind our pain and sorrow and struggles, why to reach people with the gospel? Why would Paul stay steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the grace of the Lord, even in chains, even in imprisonment, even in getting beating, even in being shipwrecked, all of that? Why? To reach people with the gospel. That's what he says in Philippians 1.12. Brethren, I do not want you to be unaware of my circumstances. He's in prison. You know what he says? That my circumstances being in change for the cause of Christ has actually turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. You know what, Paul, you know, Paul goes on to say, you know what, people are taking advantage of me in this. People are lying about me in this. People are, are, are saying things about me. You know what Paul says? And this strikes me in verses 17 and 18. You know what Paul says? Who cares as long as the gospel is preached? You know what Paul says? You can say whatever you want about me. You can abuse me. You can treat me however you want to be. I don't care as long as the gospel is preached. Set apart for the gospel. The, the question becomes for us is this. Again, I mentioned it earlier. How do you identify yourself? What, what are your credentials? Is your life, is your life so interwoven with, his, with Christ and His work, or, or are we living duplicitous lives? Are we living one way here, and we live in one way outside of here? Well, how are you identified? What defines, what defines your mission? What defines your life? What defines everything that you do? And you see it on your handout. God and his gospel are what everything is to be about. And Paul makes this very clear right from the start. Eight of the uses of, of Paul uses these words, gospel and evangelize, 11 times. Eight of them are found right here. Paul, right from the start, he's telling you what it's about. The focus. It's God and his glory in the gospel. This is what I said last week was we, we said that gospel is, I mean, that Romans is, excuse me, God-centered, that Romans is gospel-centered, that God, Romans is Bible-centered. And right here, Paul is showing you that you see it in your handout. Romans is ultimately about God and his gospel, how he acted to bring about salvation, how his justice is preserved in this, how his purposes are worked out in history, and how he is served by his people. It's God-centered. And, God's, and God's gospel centers on Jesus Christ. Leon Morris in his commentary says this, The thought of God dominates this epistle. The word God occurs 153 times in Romans, an average of once every 46 words. This is more than in any other New Testament writing, except for 1 Peter and 1 John because they're so short. Because of their length, it appears more per, per, per word. 
it occurs more often than 46. Once every 46 words, who does Paul mention? God. Not only does God occur in Romans more frequently than any other writing, it occurs more often than any other theme in the book. Apart from a few prepositions, pronouns, and the like, no word is used in Romans with anything like the frequency of God. Who's at the center of Romans? Who's at the center of your life? Think about it. Think about it. If we marked our thoughts, if we marked our conversations, if we marked our words, with what frequency does God pop up in our conversations? With what frequency does Jesus Christ pop up in our conversations? If we dialogued our words and our thoughts all throughout the day, with what frequency does the gospel appear in our conversations and our thoughts? Again, Paul, think about it. Paul is writing to a people that he has mostly never met. He's establishing his authority. He's establishing a connection. Why should Rome listen? Why should Rome possibly support his endeavors to Spain? Why? The gospel. And, and, and in closing, there's a couple more handouts. I, I did that on purpose because when I say we're closing and there's no more handouts, you shut your Bibles. I hear it. So we're going we're gonna to trick you into keeping your Bibles open. I know the deal. I know the deal. When I say let me close and you look like ain't no more fill-ins, I ain't got to listen. Let me, let, me, let me just, why does this matter? Why spend a whole sermon on one verse? Why spend a year or more in one book? Here's why. Because knowing who you are and knowing whose you are matters. It matters with how you spend your life. I dare say no greater impact on my life and your life will be had apart from digging deeper into the gospel and better understanding the gospel. That the gospel is not simply what sinners get saved by and then it's set aside. The gospel is what sinners get saved by and redeemed individuals live by. It matters. Knowing whose you are, knowing who you are, it matters for authority, it matters for power, it matters for purpose. Think about this. Is the Christian life about God blessing your will and conforming His will to your will? Or is the Christian life you conforming your will to His will? That's the question. You see it on your handout. Here's the bottom line question and why verse 1 matters. Who's in charge of your life? Ask yourself that. Who's in charge? Ask yourself, is my life as a believer about God blessing my ways and my desires, or is it about me aligning my life and my desires with God's desires? Who's in charge? These are vastly different things. One, one is asking God to bless me and my ways, the other is asking God to bless his ways. One relies on my power and authority. The other relies on God's power and his authority. One is saying, my will be done. The other is saying, thy will be done. It's different. 
and the Christian life is it's about living for the glory of God and the things that matter to God. It's about sticking to your to your mission and purpose as a believer. And you see it on your handout. Is the Christian life you showing God your desires and your plans and how you want to spend your life and demand that he bless it? Or is the Christian life about believers submitting our lives and wills to that which God has revealed in the word? Again, think about this. Is God your slave? Or are you his slave? Look at your life. That's why verse 1 matters. Are God's resources to be used for my glory alone? Or are God's resources to be used for his glory? Think about that. Huge difference. Paul's authority rested in doing God's will, God's way for the gospel. Paul's power rested in doing God's will, God's way for the gospel. Not doing his own will, not living his own way, and then saying, God bless this. Not using God's resources for Paul's glory. No, Paul was using God's resources for God's glory. Think about it. Think about this real quick. You get a mission from your superior. You have their authority so long as you submit to their mission, so long as you do it the way that they designed it, right? Those of you who are in the military, you get that. You don't get the mission and then get out on the field and you think, you know what? I think it's better if we do it this way, so I'm going to go rogue and I'm going to do it my way. Listen, the moment you go rogue, you know what happens? You lose your authority, you lose your power, and you lose your backing, and some of us in here may, may, if we're honest, may have gone rogue as Christians. We may be asking God to bless our ways and, and, and really using God's resources for our ways instead of using God's resources for His ways. Huge implications for how we view our own life. Huge implications for how we view the rest of Romans. We can't do our own thing we can't even do God's will our own ways. We can't live for this world and think God will still bless and that we have authority and that God's going to be okay with it. It's not going to happen that way. We need to be a people. We're called to be a people that are for the gospel. From the youngest to the oldest here, for the gospel. God will not, he will not share his glory with another, Isaiah says. Our glory and our authority and our power is found in making much of God. And I pray that that would be our call. That would be our goal, no matter the cost.